for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. Welcome to the program. I'm Basil Valentine in for Patrick Henningsen today, Wednesday, the 14th of February 2024. And I'm delighted to say we've got another packed program for you. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by the author, broadcaster, broadcaster and artist Jason Leosatos to talk things Julian Assange. It's crunch time. For dear Julian, next Tuesday and Wednesday, he's at the High Court in the Old Bailey, uh, right there in the centre of London in the Strand, where his lawyers will be arguing his case that he be given the right to appeal his extradition order to the United States to face espionage charges. Uh, if he's successful, then uh, there's no reason why he shouldn't be released on bail. But it may be that the vindictive authorities wish to continue his persecution by keeping him in uh, what I've realised is the modern day equivalent of the Tower of London, uh, Belmarsh Prison, and the harshest possible environment for a prisoner in the UK. A single cell with no uh, stimulation, very limited access to books or television. I don't think he can access the internet very restricted visits and the same terms as a violent terrorist or murderer uh, which is itself a form of torture and he has said that if he loses his appeal he will commit suicide so it's a very very serious situation for julian and it's a very very serious situation for free speech worldwide it's a very serious situation for free speech in the United Kingdom, where Keir Starmer seems determined to destroy the Labour Party, throwing out anybody who says anything at all out of line with the current catastrophe in the Middle East. Now it seems that he's being urged to suspend councillors who were at a meeting where the Labour candidate, or now former Labour candidate in the Rochdale by-election, Azhar Ali, said that he believed that Israel had foreknowledge of October the 7th. That comment was denounced as an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, even though it's been widely reported as having some considerable basis, in fact, in the Israeli media. Still, that doesn't matter for Starmer's Labour Party. As soon as the lobby tell him that somebody's got to go, they go. So Ali is still going to stand in the Rochdale by-election. It's too late to replace him with somebody else. Labour can't parachute in their own candidate. But he has now had all party support withdrawn. And should he be elected, he will have to sit as an independent. Now is where it gets really sort of bizarre and... Uh, indicative of exactly what a witch hunt has and is going on in the Labour Party. Um, 
the various uh, Israel-backed groups are now calling for councillors at the meeting where uh, Azhar Ali made these remarks to be suspended because they didn't say anything at the time. How peculiar is that? So apparently, if you listen to Azhar Ali speculate that the Israelis may well have had advanced knowledge of October the 7th and done nothing about it. If you listen to that, if you heard him say those words and you didn't immediately get up out of your chair and challenge him for peddling in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, you are as guilty as he is. Orwellian doesn't begin to cover it. So we'll be talking about the Rochdale by-election in the second hour with my good friend and TNT cohort Rick Munn. Later in the second hour, uh, I'll be joined by another TNT cohort, Penny Neroth-Taylor, and we'll be looking at the latest machinations in European politics. First, it's Jason Leosartos, and after that, I'm delighted to say I'll be joined by regular Wednesday guest Freddie Ponton. Uh, all the oxygen in the room is being taken up by uh, the total nonsense with uh, the Labour Party's internal wranglings and machinations. But uh, the real crisis, of course, is in the Middle East. And that's where I will be going with Freddie Ponton. Uh, it's frankly uh, it, the single most important thing uh, I can say in today's broadcast is that if you go to the front page of the Guardian website just now, uh, the headline is Labour. Keir Starmer urged to suspend councillors at meeting that heard Israel comments. Okay. Very, very serious matter. Some people may have heard comments at a meeting where Israel was discussed and should have spoken out. Meanwhile, if you dig a little further into the Guardian's website, you find the following. World Health Organization says Gaza's hospitals are completely overwhelmed and accuse Israel of impeding aid delivery missions in Gaza. The World Health Organization said on Wednesday that fewer than half of its requested aid delivery missions in Gaza have been approved by Israel, stressing the need to reach and resupply devastated hospitals across the territory. This, according to Agence France Press. Hospitals are completely overwhelmed and overflowing and undersupplied, not to mention, of course, that snipers have been shooting at patients and medical staff uh, in the Khan Yunis hospital, uh, which was forcibly evacuated, having been surrounded by tanks. But don't remember, don't forget, remember, it's much more important that Azar Ali is suspended from the Labour Party for something he said, and others are suspended for things that they didn't say. According to The Guardian, I mean, they put that on their front page, not this humanitarian catastrophe. So that tells you everything you need to know about the priorities of the British media. Speaking to reporters in Geneva, 
via a video link from Rafa in southern Gaza. Uh, the World Health Organization spokesman said that this is Rick Peepercorn, who is the WHO's representative in the Palestinian territories. He described how patients were frequently undergoing unnecessary amputations of limbs that could have been saved under ordinary circumstances. Since November, only 40% of the missions the World Health Organization had requested to deliver aid to northern Gaza had been facilitated, less than half. Since January, that figure is much lower. Only 45% of requested missions in southern Gaza had meanwhile been made possible, he said. These missions have been denied, impeded or postponed, describing the situation as absurd. I can think of a lot more accurate words to use than absurd. Um, and again, let's juxtapose that with the latest uh, in the Labour Party. Another candidate, Graham Jones, has been suspended for saying effing Israel. That's enough to get you labelled an anti-Semite and uh, ditched from the Labour Party. Now, bizarrely, uh, of all people, former Treasury Minister Ed Balls came to Graham Jones's defence on Good Morning Britain, which I would imagine means that Ed Balls himself, according to the rules of the witch hunt, he now has to be suspended from the Labour Party as well. Uh, Bowles made the following remarks on Good Morning Britain. Let's stand back here and get some facts. Graham Jones, I know him really well. He's not a Corbynite, not hard left. Absolutely not anti-Israel. You could all imagine saying expletive America. Indeed, one could. One could say expletive followed by the name of any country in the world. And one would not face any meaningful repercussions, with one exception, Israel. Graham Jones is not an anti-Semite. Well, that's what uh, Ed Ball said, but I'm afraid, Ed, you're now going to have to be thrown under the bus because it's obvious that you're not taking the problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party nearly seriously enough. So you've got to be thrown out, Ed. I'm sorry, those are the rules of the witch hunt. Back to the important stuff, the humanitarian situation on the ground in Gaza, which sadly so often gets overlooked with all the oxygen in the room being taken up by the nonsense uh, that The Guardian is focusing on. Uh, even when there is no ceasefire, humanitarian corridors should exist so that the World Health Organization, the United Nations and their partners can do their job, said Peepercorn, calling it a shrinking humanitarian space. Peepercorn also warned that military activities in these densely populated areas would be, of course, an unfathomable catastrophe. I don't know why he uses the conditional tense. It is already an unfathomable catastrophe. What is the murder of 15,000 children, if not an absolute unimaginable catastrophe? It would even further expand the humanitarian disaster 
beyond imagination, he said, but that is precisely what the Israelis, with the full backing of the United States and the United Kingdom, plan to do. Meanwhile, Jonathan Wittenberg, the senior rabbi of Britain's Massorti community, has publicly opposed an Israeli military intervention in Rafa, saying it is impossible to remain silent. These words are written out of deep concern, he said in a officially released press release, about Israel's actions and potential actions in Rafa, making it impossible to remain silent. The calculated barbarity and strategic cruelty of Hamas's military and the presence of its forces in tunnels beneath Rafa are beyond doubt. You are, of course, obliged to condemn Hamas before making any remarks at all, even mildly critical of Israeli actions. But he went on. Over a million Palestinian civilians, many already in flight from the north of Gaza, tell us something we don't already know, are now trapped with nowhere to go. In countless references, Judaism has throughout history stressed out duty to refugees and the helpless. Well, nobody seems to have told the Israelis. How can we be unmoved by their grief and unbearable suffering? Well, uh, I suggest you go to Tel Aviv and stand on a street corner and ask that question. I wrote out of horror at what may ensue and its potential consequences in unimaginable suffering. I write out of dread and the future hatred this is likely to engender and out of fear that these actions may haunt us and the good name of Israel and the Jewish people for generations. Well, he's not wrong there. Uh, indeed, the whole uh, catastrophe uh, is framed in one article I was reading in Middle East Monitor as essentially now a clash of civilizations, not just between uh, East and West, but now between North and South with South Africa, of course, leading the charge for uh, human rights and an end to the genocide at the ICJ. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined by Jason Leosatos, who is an author, broadcaster, uh, and a writer, and an artist, all rolled into one. And Jason has been a very keen follower of the situation with Julian Assange, which is coming to a crunch next week. Uh, Jason, what do you think the prospects are for uh, Julian being granted leave to appeal? Um, and uh, if so, you know, is there any chance they'll let him out on bail or will the persecution continue? Thanks, Basil. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very worried. I, I was outside Belmarsh Prison quite some time ago, some years ago now, when the, um, uh, the, the designer lady was out there as well. RT was interviewing me and everything, and we were do, trying to do a lot of work then to try and, and shift things. But I think not enough people really are stepping forward. And, um, you know, I, I, I like to stress to people that we're all Julian Assange, basically, you know. And um, I, I'm very concerned about it. There's a the big thing in London. I'm hoping to be there and do some filming and interviews as well. And um, But, you know, it reminds me a little bit of when um, Gaddafi was in that conference years ago and uh, they had hung Saddam and he said to everybody in the conference, you know, 
you might be next and they were all laughing at him you know so we're in a terrible situation it's those who incarcerated Julian who really should be in Belmarsh prison themselves uh not Julian at all Julian's just exposing the corruption and the evil uh that's going on in this world under this terrible power of um short-term greed power war and slavery um it's a terrible thing and it's becoming normal so um I feel very sorry for Stella and for all his family my my, my heart goes out to all of those and um, uh, it's very, very sad times, you know, and I remember when I was in South Africa being shot at for talking about Mandela. Mandela was a terrorist, you know, um, but um, Julian's a hero. Let's make no mistake about it. And that man has been exposing terrible things. And um, it's awful. It, it, it upsets me terrible, you know. And when he exposed that first thing with the gunship, you know, that was, you know, mind blowing. And what they what he's exposing, that they kill people just in case that there's a terrorist in there just in case kill them all i did a talk on rt once about it and um they'll kill a wedding party or a funeral party and just in case there is one person in there that they want to get and this is this is what we're dealing with we're dealing with psychopaths basil unfortunately who, who are running rampant and like i said it's always the um the opposite of what they say julian shouldn't be in there julian's a hero there's no doubt about it no that's right tony blair and george bush should be where he is um what I was going to say is this wonderful quote from Julian, which I dug out this morning. It is from the revelation of truth that all else follows. Our buildings can only be as tall as their bricks are strong. Our civilization is only as strong as its ideas are true. I thought that was rather profound and uh, worthy of Dostoevsky or any of the great philosophers, to be honest. Brilliant, Basil. Yeah, and, and he also said that media has, a, has a, an obligation to get the truth out of people. And of course, what they do is they cut people's tongues off, you know, or kill them. Look at uh, David Kelly, who was exposed and there was no no we weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So what they do is they either cut your tongue off and put you in prison or they what I the warning for people for me here is that soon it'll be a digital slavery and they won't need to put you in prison. You won't be able to buy food or, or um, even do anything or you won't have a bank account if uh, you speak against the government in, in years to come and this is a slow dripping tap but it's coming very fast on the timeline and it's, it's a very very daunting thing uh, but like julian said courage is contagious contagious courage is contagious and he also said which i thought was lovely he said that uh, the transatlantic uh, airplane flights in the 30s uh, were one of the most her heroic acts and now so many people are doing it so as 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 we all step forward, it's exposing um, exposing more and more of the corruption in the world, and that's what we've got an obligation to do. And we must transcend our fear of punishment um, uh, to keep doing that, because we don't owe just owe it to people like Julian, who is really a torchbearer for a lot of us here. Uh, we owe it to people who haven't been born yet, because the the, the people who haven't been born yet rely on us. Their reality will will be a manifestation of of what we do or don't do now for sure it's a it's a big responsibility it seems his home country of australia have finally at this very late stage got on board with this case uh, a motion was passed in the australian parliament with a thumping majority calling for him to be released and i believe the prime minister albanese has finally taken up his cause so you know he's getting some official backing uh, and theoretically at least given the way Australia cooperates with every American misadventure militarily that is required to do so. You would think that uh, they would be prepared to give him back 
you know, give the Australians back this one person, this one individual um, who has already suffered a minor stroke and obviously poses no threat to anybody at all. But it seems there's something really very vindictive about the way Julian has been persecuted. Uh, and let's not forget that that dreadful oaf, Mike Pompeo, who is another who frankly should be in jail, was plotting to assassinate Julian. So uh, the judge, I don't know whether it's within his powers uh, with this hearing next week, which is simply to determine whether or not Julian will be given leave to appeal, uh, should just simply throw the case out at this point, because uh, you can't turn somebody over to a country that has planned to assassinate him. Yeah, well said, well said. I gave a talk at uh, with Patrick on the stage there, and there was other great people there uh, last year about Julian and censorship. And I, I don't know why it came to my mind, but I thought it's like putting people's heads on stakes you know, when you've gone into a, a village to, to to teach the others a lesson not to stand up against you. And this is what's happened with Julian. It really has. They've put his head on a stake and uh, to say to anybody, don't you dare question us. Don't you dare um, um, expose us for what we're doing. And the exposure is it's vital that we expose these people because what they're doing has become normal. Killing and slaughter and, and warmongering and profit and power and the billions that have been uh, sent uh, to do these things and the killing and maiming of innocent people has become normal and we must never let that happen we must expose it all the time at every twist and turn and we've got to take our hats off to people like julian and we all need to, to support this man and i think the reason he's in there is because not enough people have stepped forward and i'm not doing enough myself basil um i did do a lot of coverage with julian a lot of interviews uh, before but, um, uh, you know, it's sort of, you just get on with your life and there's Julian in there. It's terrible. I had Paul Craig Roberts on my show last night and I said to him, you know, we were talking about Assange. And I said, you know, these people are uh, like the mafia, Paul. And he, Paul's been in the Reagan administration in the Treasury, so he knows what he's talking about when it comes to being in government's concerned. He said, oh, no, Jason. He said, it's it, they're not the mafia. They're much, much worse. The mafia is is quite <laughs> fair, actually, if you, if you deal with them properly. <laughs> These people aren't the mafia. These people will will do anything to stop people uh, from exposing yes. them. And I can't say these things on here, but I had Robert David Steele speaking at some of my conferences here in Dartington Hall and also on my show. And that man's told me he's unfortunately uh, passed away now. That man's told me things about Hillary Clinton and what they do um, and, and uh, that I can't say here. You know, um, it's just what they've done and what they're doing is terrible. But the light of truth is being shone on them more and more, Basil. It's, it's actually, in one sense, it's a terribly daunting time, uh, particularly for uh, Julian, but what Julian's done will go on. And um, uh, it's like there was always, a, I've said it many times, there was always a molasses slowness time lag between when terrible things were done and when they were exposed. But now it's amazing with people with their phones and everything, on, on uh, you know, like, like in Gaza or whatever, we can see it actually as it happens. So... It's no sooner they think they're going to do something else unscrupulous, because they are the most unscrupulous gangs of people on the planet, basically, who are doing these awful things that Julian exposed. No sooner they do anything now, the light of truth is shone on them almost immediately. So that is very exciting times, but it's also worrying times, because when a rat's cornered, then it can do some um, horrible things. So we're yet to see what, what what is coming down the timeline, but the digital slavery is looming and they need that in place very, very quickly now because then they can control everyone with a flick of a switch. Look what's happening in Australia. You know, they're offering people $400 to put a smart meter in and then they turn their air conditioning off remotely. So this is something to be, <laughs> they're literally doing it, you know? So this is something to be really worried about. 
um, and we must keep our sovereignty. And um, you know, Julian is—he's a sort of a, 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 a shining light of, of 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 what we all should be doing. We all should be Julian Assange. You know, I mean, as you know, I've been banned off YouTube and for, for demonstrating in London and all sorts of things. And it is frightening, you know, when you know that they're 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 poking you and and trying to shut you down. But um, it, it emboldens me, it does, because, um, you know, we've got it, all the people that have gone before us, the very brave people, whether it's Mandela or whether it's Gaddafi or whether it's, not Gaddafi, you know, um, Gandhi, or whether it's any of these people, Martin Luther King, they were all persecuted, they were all punished and, and tortured and killed. So it's easier now, actually, to stay alive uh, whilst you're exposing the truth, thankfully, or we all wouldn't be here. And Basil, people don't realise how bad it is. I'm, I don't want to frighten anyone here, but really, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, you just have your head chopped off and that would be it. So thank goodness for the internet and thank goodness for, for so many channels like TNT uh, News and other channels and people like yourself and Patrick who are exposing these things and more and more people are getting a whiff of the smelling salts now and, and the chloroform is lifting at last and more and more people can see it for what it is. Yes, I, I liken Julian's current confinement to the modern equivalent of being thrown in the Tower of London. Um, we like to think that we don't do that kind of thing to people anymore. Uh, and just because Belmarsh is a red brick anonymous building on the outskirts of London and not a historic monument in the centre of London. Well, it's just another example of outsourcing, basically. Um, but his treatment is very, very little different from the way medieval prisoners were confined in the tower. Solitary confinement in a room with no form of uh, mental or physical stimulation for 23, 23 and a half or 24 hours a day. So, I mean, I don't know whether uh, Belmarsh is rat infested as well as the, as the tower was, but it's effectively the same, it's the same thing, just brought up to date. Yeah, and, and I, I saw a clip of him speaking to Frost many years ago, and um, Frost was was questioning him about, you know, what you know, you're exposing the truth could, that could endanger lives and this kind of thing. And, um, it, 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 you know, he was saying that, you know, what would have happened when we were attacking Germany or something like that if you had brought out different things and exposed the truth. But we've still got to expose the truth, and as we know. Yes, exactly. We, we uh, it was to, a total yeah. lie that, no, you know, total lie that his uh, revelations uh, endangered any lives. And, and that is absolutely typical of the kind of inversion that the establishment goes in for. You know, the kind of, uh, you know, victim blaming that, that we see. Finally, I just want to draw people's attention to Sunday's screening of a new documentary about Julian, sponsored by us here on TNT, The Trust Fall, Julian Assange, a feature length documentary. And it's being screened at the Rio Cinema in Dalston at one o'clock this Sunday, the 18th of February, followed by a Q&A with the director and I believe Stella Hossange herself. I'll be there. And if you're there and you see me, do feel free to come up and say hello. So that's the Trust Ball. Uh, it's on Theatrical Relations Australia. And if you are able to arrange a screening or wish to, go to www.thetrustfall.org. Jason, thank you so much for joining us here on TNT today. And I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Thanks very much, Basil, and well done for everything you're doing at TNT. Thanks, everybody.
Don't thank me. Right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'll be joined by my next guest, Freddie Ponton, to unpack the catastrophe in the Middle East. We'll be right back. TNT's Kate Shamarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live And welcome back to the Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Basil Valentine, in for Patrick today, Wednesday the 14th of February 2024. And just to finish off about the Assange situation, of course those hearings are next week, Tuesday the 20th and Wednesday the 21st. And we at TNT will be broadcasting live from outside the Royal Courts of Justice at the Old Bailey in the Strand. I believe we will be occupying a coffee shop straight across the road from the Old Bailey. And our reporters will be in and around the people outside. So keep an eye out for us. TNT, we're live there next Tuesday and Wednesday. And now, without further ado, I want to bring on to the stage my good friend, Mr. Freddie Ponton. Freddie, welcome to the programme. Hey, fantastic, Basil. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great that you can join us. I, I hate to have to say so, but it is our solemn duty uh, because so many others avoid it, so including many other news services, disgracefully, that we focus on the most important story in the world, which is the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. It's a very unpleasant subject because there is so much human suffering, so much unnecessary suffering. And it seems that so many uh, of the world's corporate news outlets want to talk about anything else but what is going on there. And this diminishes the Palestinian people in a way that strikes me as being calculated there's you know there's no other way of putting it we can only imagine the outcry that there would be if it was 30,000 israelis that had been murdered since october mm. the 7th everybody went berserk because a few hundred were murdered that was an appalling thing of course it was but you know the 
the uh, outcry, the wailing and gnashing of teeth would be off the charts. So in other words, we've reached a very, very sinister situation where quite simply, certainly amongst elites, but not ordinary people around the world, Palestinian lives are simply worth less than those with, of, of Israelis or, or Western Europeans. What do you think, Freddie? Well, absolutely. I think that uh, it's appalling what we are seeing at the moment across the board, you know, and, and the Western world is uh, should be taking the lead and the Western media should be all over uh, the, the stories and this humanitarian crisis uh, that has been going on for, for four months now. And every single hour, uh, we're getting breaking news out of Rafah or other places within the Gaza Strip or as well as in the West Bank. So uh, the conflict is really all across the uh, uh, the Palestinian occupied territories, even in the uh, uh, in West Jerusalem. So we, we we're trying to keep track of uh, the amount of war crimes that are committed in this particular uh, part at the moment in Rafah, uh, the southernmost tip of uh, the Gaza Strip. And they're still keeping an eye as well on Khan Yunis and the uh, development over the last past week in the Nasser Hospital, uh, where people died. I mean, people were shot by snipers and we obviously saw uh, uh, over the last past 24 hours the uh, order of evacuation issued by the IDF. Uh, so clearly, again, here, a uh, lot of questions about uh, how Israel is uh, handling its military operation. Is it still, you know, in line with international law? Does it actually comply with the court order and the provisional measures which were granted to South Africa in their case against Israel? Uh, I doubt it really uh, uh, very much. And uh, we see many now United Nations agencies starting to raise their voices. You talked about earlier, I think, about the WHO with Rick uh, uh, Peepercorns, you know, the uh, representative of the WHO uh, in the Palestinian occupied territories, been very concerned about the amount of missions that get cancelled. Uh, many of them are basically being injured, which means the, uh, the, 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 the emergency aid, especially for the hospital, or what's left of them is not uh, finding its way, whether in the north, whether in the south, at least 50% of these missions are hindered, postponed, uh, delayed. And that clearly shows that Israel has no intentions in providing any comfort or elevating the pain and the suffering of the Palestinian people. So that's where we are at the moment. Uh, and um, I think we can uh, uh, really start now to, to look at how this is unfolding because we, we are arriving at a, at, a, at a tipping point here. It's whether uh, we're going to be able to see a de-escalation quite quickly where Netanyahu and the Israeli government is going to come to its senses and being able to realize that attacking Rafa is just simply not an option. Uh, I think there's two development as well uh, that is still and kind of indicate as well that uh, uh, the Israeli government is unfortunately not finding any ways uh, and all the um, kind of uh, helpers uh, which trying to strike a deal, namely the US, Qatar, we saw, uh, of course, Egypt and, uh, 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 and I can't remember who, but uh, there was at least four countries 
uh, coming together to try to strike a deal as far as freeing the hostages, because that is a priority also, is to make sure these hostages can go back to their families, uh, for actually is the civilian part of them. Military is another matter, is a prison of war. But for the civilians, it will be good for them to be released. But we need to see a ceasefire and we need to see to seize it now because it's going to be more and more difficult. Uh, you were talking about the press, Basel. I can give you also a hint on the, the latest in France. Um, we had Macron uh, earlier this morning being on the phone with Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, and uh, begging him, literally asking him to uh, stop all the hostilities and the fighting, and basically uh, making sure that uh, uh, we can now come to a negotiation table as far as you know, getting a ceasefire and getting it really now as soon as possible is also completely against the uh, invasion or military operation inside Rafa. Uh, it's basically unacceptable and France has been very clear about that. So that's what the AFP uh, Agence France Presse is uh, at the moment reporting. And it's also uh, talked about the uh, importance to open the port of Ash, uh, Ashdod, you know, which is a, a direct route from Jordan and basically uh, opening all the crossing point, making sure that the aid can actually make it to Gaza. So I think now France has been probably one of the clearest message today uh, on record as far as not supporting now the military operation or the potential of a military operation in Rafah and uh, asking clearly a ceasefire now. So I think the, the French position is very clear on that. We saw a, a lot of uh, um, hostages or dual national, sorry, not hostages, but dual national uh, French and Palestinians. I think 42 of them were allowed to leave the Gaza Strip uh, uh, earlier today. So uh, it, the, these negotiations were, were successful at least, uh, but we are far from uh, seeing the end of this conflict. And, and that's a pain really. Uh, to put it mildly, Martin Griffiths, the UN Under Secretary General, for humanitarian affairs and the emergency relief coordinator uh, came out with the following statement earlier today. Military operations in Rafah could lead to a slaughter in Gaza. Uh, uh, there's been a slaughter already, hasn't there? Isn't 15,000 people, 15,000 children a slaughter? Could lead to a slaughter, you know, could lead to another slaughter, you know, could lead to a widespread massacre, you know. Um, your point, important point about the aid crossings, uh, I take it, uh, Freddie, but unfortunately there are political forces inside Israel and not just the so-called extremist Ben Gavir Smotrich wing of the war cabinet, uh, but even supposedly moderate people like Benny Gantz, who are opposed to allowing the required aid into Gaza, of course, using the excuse that it ends up being in the hands of Hamas, whatever. Others don't even uh, claim that they're trying to stop the aid getting to Hamas. Uh, I've seen people posting on X uh, that, you know, we didn't send humanitarian aid to Germany in the Second World War, so why should we send any to Gaza now? This is being put forward by uh, Israel apologists as a serious argument for starving the Gazan population, for starving the Palestinians to death. I mean, the 
language, not just the language, but the actions that we're seeing from Israel's and its apologists is absolutely off the charts from anything we thought we had come to expect in a sane and reasonable world. Yes, I mean, you know, I couldn't put better words, you know, that what you just explained, you know, uh, I mean, Gaza is, and many have called it a concentration camp, a prison, you know, uh, with open air prison. But at the end of the day, uh, if we look at the uh, Second World War and the concentration camp in, uh, in Europe, uh, nobody was bombarding. Uh, the Germans were not bombarding their own camp. Uh, so we, we cannot even compare or start to compare what's going on here. We're talking about civilian population, civilian population uh, which have rights uh, under international law. And we have a, now a very clear outline from the ICG as far as to what are the recommendations, what are the, uh, the rules of engagements and what should be done and what cannot be done. Unfortunately, at this particular stage, which I believe, you know, motivated the South African government to urgently uh, request the ICJ to look again into uh, Israel action in Rafah. In, in, in hoping to, to prevent, because this is really all about prevention at this stage, and all the member states, all those parties to the Genocide Convention have an obligation to do everything that is in their power to prevent a genocide. And what I found really appalling it is that very few countries that have actually come forward to actually do anything substantial that could hinder uh, basically, Israel's ability uh, to carry on its military operation. We saw earlier this week the uh, Dutch government and the court in Holland basically uh, stopping basically the delivery of military uh, spare parts for the F-35, uh, which is a good thing. But how, how this is going to affect in a short term uh, the well-being and the good health of the people in the Gaza Strip, uh, I think very little. This will only basically uh, have an effect uh, over a, a medium time period. But right now, people need food, people need shelter, people need basically everything. And uh, I think what's really also uh, very difficult to father is the idea that some of these people have been displaced so many times. So IDPs have a very specific status within the Geneva Conventions. And if you displace uh, um, uh, this population, you need to be able to provide them with shelters, with safety, with food and drinking water. And all this is very well outlined in the uh, Geneva Convention. So there's no doubt, there's no gray area as far as you don't move people like cattle, you know, and at the end, this is going to be the slaughterhouse, which people are describing, describing Rafa could be. So it's very important to not dehumanize the population and make sure that these are still people out there, families, and a lot of them have gone through so much. Uh, it is time for Israel to comply. And if they don't, I think we need to see some real serious, serious sanctions against the state of Israel because this cannot be tolerated any longer. Oh, but sanctions against Israel are anti-Semitic. You should know that by now, Freddie. 
you know. Oh, um, I've, <laughs> I've been liberal <laughs> anti-Semitic, you know, for a very long time because in France, when you mention the word Israel, that already, you know, you're an anti-Semitic. You know, anything that has to do with describing international law or any resolutions, hundreds of them issued by the, uh, uh, the United Nations, none of them have ever been basically followed through by, by the Israeli government. We've been saying this for a long time. The problem is, is that uh, this is the usual card that has been played, but I think it's been diminished now. I think people understand how the game has been played, what are the rules of the game, and uh, people are taking it slightly less seriously unless you live in Germany. And you can be literally thrown in prison, I believe, if you start to criticize the state of Israel. So uh, what we are describing here is simply what the international or the highest court uh, uh, in the United Nations and some say in the world has described, which is the plausibility of a genocide is taking place. And at this moment in time, if we have to criticize what Israel is doing without being, you know, going into the all, uh, you know, uh, semantics and the all religious aspect, we can address that at a later stage. And I think a lot of books will be written about it. But right now, this is a humanitarian catastrophe. It's a Nagba number two, and it's allowed to happen simply because uh, certain powers like the United States allowed it to happen. They really allowed it to happen. And uh, these double standards and these poor communications coming out of the White House, it's just make the whole scenario a circus. And unfortunately, uh, it, it is children's and women's and young men's that are paying the price for, uh, for this circus. And it's really, really appalling at this stage. And I hope uh, some uh, of the people behind or this, those that are abating, aiding and abating this genocide will be held accountable. That's what we can wish for. Well, it is indeed what we can wish for. Uh, David Cameron, the UK Foreign Secretary who sits in the House of Lords, has apparently issued his clearest warning yet. Um, this was yesterday. He said, uh, echoing your point, that Israel is in breach of international law as the occupying power if it fails to provide food and water to the people of Gaza. It is failing to provide food and water. Therefore, it is in breach of international law. I don't know why he found it necessary to condition that sentence. Uh, this is apparently the clearest warning yet over Israel's conduct. He said it was well, simply not possible for people in Rafa to leave as proposed by the IDF. Remarks that suggest the UK would not endorse any Israeli plan to mount a full-scale invasion. Meanwhile, Ireland's and Spain's prime ministers, Ireland and Spain being the two European countries that have taken the strongest positions uh, so far in favor of humanity, is the only way of putting it. Um, although, of course, the Irish people and many members of the Doyle go a lot further than the rather weak Varadkar is prepared to go. Nevertheless, the prime ministers of Ireland and Spain have written and implored EU chiefs to take action over the deteriorating situation in Gaza. A day after the Taoiseach declared that Israel had become blinded by rage. Well, it's a very long lasting rage, isn't it? If it lasts four months after the event. Uh, if you're still angry four months after the event, then you're possibly psychotic. You are mentally disturbed. In a highly unusual move, Leo Varadkar and Pedro Sanchez 
wrote to the European Commission chief, Ursula von der Leyen, who disgracefully, of course, projected the Israeli flag onto the Commission headquarters in Brussels and uh, immediately rushed to Jerusalem to lick the butcher Netanyahu's boots in the days immediately after October the 7th. Uh, they've written to her, uh, asking the Commission to urgently review whether Israel is complying with its obligations to respect human rights in Gaza. I mean, this the language of this, review whether it's complying with its obligation when it's murdered 30,000 people. I mean, this is dystopian stuff, isn't it, Freddie? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely beyond all imaginations. I think, really, I think no one in the world today and for the years to come will see Israel with the same eyes. I mean, what we are seeing at this moment is a desperate attempt to avoid any kind of uh, responsibility. And, uh, you know, the, the, the word of uh, Luis Ocampo, the, uh, the, uh, the former ICC chief prosecutors, uh, uh, you know, although I was not a big fan of these guys, but uh, he uh, once in a while used to say something actually clever. And probably the, the last statement that he made with regards to Gaza and the possible the possibility of a, a, a genocide was to, to, to declare that this there's nothing to do with the number of life that has been taken. It has to do with a siege. So that's why, you know, when you see the declaration from Cameron and others, all these declarations are made and only made so that everything is contextualized in a vacuum. Nothing is made in terms of addressing the real big issue in, in a real you know, in, in, in the entirety. It is really about addressing the problem in the vacuum, whether it's October the 7th or whether it is the current situation in Rafa. So what I try not to do is to really kind of allow this kind of discourse to take place and always bring it back to the real crime, which is the deportation, which is basically the displacement, which is the war crime, which is the Nakba. And then, of course, this is the siege on Gaza, which has been, you know, now uh, lasting for way, way too long. And I think the uh, United Nations resolutions on this matters are extremely clear that the right to defend yourself does not exist in between, you know, an occupier and occupier. You know, it just simply doesn't exist. You know, these are not two states having a, 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 an armed conflict. This is um, completely different. So from a legal point of view, we need to look at it from the siege. The siege is and has been a major problem. And that is the reason why when you're starting to impede on people freedom of movement and you control every aspect of, of your life, uh, of their life, sorry, it's really, really important to go back to that particular understanding because this is where the real genocide started. It did not start after October the 7th, but during the period of the siege, this is where the genocide started. And it's very important to stick on that because that you can take it to, to the court and bank it because it's when the ICC chief prosecutor that it's tell you that without any death, the siege already constitute enough evidence that a genocide has been committed, then that's it. You know where you're standing. So... My view at this moment in time is we're going to see one last time what the ICG is going to come up with. As you know, this particular um, urgency, emergency request from the uh, South African government does not require a hearing. It's simply applying 
the court's rules um, according to uh, Article 75.1 of the uh, the rule of conduct of these uh, 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 international criminal courts and uh, in, in sorry international court of justice and it's really about uh, uh, Israel to uh, uh, to to demonstrate very clearly that it is doing everything that it can. Uh, to uh, to not arm the civilians, and I think at this moment in time, uh, the idea that uh, conducting an operation in Rafa is simply such a breach of the uh, provisional measures that I think the court is going to have to go to the next level. And I believe it is per perhaps even likely that they might even actually uh, go for a ceasefire uh, as a provisional measure, because that is the only things left for the ICG. They cannot obviously deploy the UN core, uh, the UN, uh, the UN forces on the ground there. This will have to do with a different course of action. So at their level, the only things and the most uh, radical thing they can do is to simply logically uh, grant South Africa with an order asking for a ceasefire. If they don't deliver that, uh, this court has no reason to be. No, it has no reason to exist. You're right. I mean. We are in the midst of a world constitutional crisis, uh, effectively, uh, as well as a clash of civilizations between the global south and what we used to refer to as the West, uh, but is now the sort of uh, global tyranny. On the ceasefire front, the Mossad chief, David Barnea, has met with CIA director William Burns in Cairo for talks on the latest iteration of the Qatari brokered plan to hold fighting in Gaza. Uh, bizarrely enough, Mossad actually represents the most dovish wing of uh, the Israeli state apparatus. These negotiations apparently also involve Qatar's prime minister and Egyptian officials and are part of an intensifying effort to secure a ceasefire before Israel proceeds with a ground incursion into the city of Rafah, where more than half of the territory's population has fled. Uh, now, uh, I've seen Israeli spokespersons uh, on television saying, ah, oh, but we cannot have a ceasefire because that will leave Hamas in place. Uh, in other <laughs> words, uh, and this is exactly what Netanyahu has said and why the hopes a few days ago of a ceasefire were dashed. Uh, the Israelis appear to have what one can only describe as an exterminatory policy towards Hamas, uh, which means massacring every individual associated with it, right down to the boy who makes the tea and the woman who sweeps up. Um, they want to literally eliminate it. And, you know, I don't see how that is achievable. And once again, uh, what if the boot was on the other foot? What if Hamas was saying that it wanted to eliminate every single member of the Israeli administration and was well on the way to doing so? Well, it's, you know, I mean, you, you, you cannot compare any, any of those. I mean, nothing is making sense at this stage, you know. What really amazes me is the, uh, is the amount of destructions. And uh, uh, what I'm very concerned at this moment in time is the ability for, uh, you know, for these 
the evidence of a, a plausible genocide to be preserved, which is part of the uh, uh, the ICJ provisional measures. I, I, and that is my concern, because at the level of destruction that is still ongoing, I mean, we saw a clear increase in bombing after uh, the uh, court order was issued. Uh, so clearly there's an intent and there's a you know, complete disregard for international law, whatever the United Nations is coming. You saw this week that they came up with this uh, fantastic uh, story about tunnels, you know, going from UNRWA school all the way down to the UNRWA headquarters. Uh, and when you look at this evidence, you can clearly see that this is a complete fabrication. Uh, unfortunately, we're running yes, out of time. Yes, yeah, we are indeed. The Israeli lie machine never stops. Freddie Ponton, thank you very much for joining us today on The Patrick Kennington Show. We really appreciate your contributions, as always. My pleasure. We'll be right back with TNT's very own Rick Munn to look at the election of Northern Ireland's first Sinn Féin First Minister. Has it made any difference? We'll be right back.